0: Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. In 1956, before broadcast of The Ed Sullivan Show, none other than the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley himself publicly received the new polio vaccine, what was then the new polio vaccine. It was part of a massive publicity campaign to promote vaccination against polio by the New York City Department of Health. Why? Because people like famous radio personality, Walter Winchell, were spreading fearsome disinformation about the vaccine, suggesting that it, quote, may be a killer. And so thanks in no small part to the public vaccinations of Elvis and other celebrities, hundreds of thousands became convinced of the safety of the vaccine. And within a year, the number of new cases of polio declined sharply. And now we've all but eradicated the disease. And fast forward to today, Uh, many of you have, along with me, uh, marveled at the images, picture after picture of doctors, nurses, and other healthcare frontline workers, um, those who have risked their lives day in and day out over the past nine months. Pictures of them now getting the new vaccine for COVID-19. And more will come in the weeks ahead, especially now that a second vaccine has been approved by the FDA, we just learned yesterday. It's just so amazing to see the faces of people who will soon no longer have to fear winding up where their patients were or bringing the virus home to spouses, partners, and children who also have to sit in fear, live in fear and worry, not only about mom or dad's well-being, but about what they might bring home with them. It's the first wave of a modern medical miracle brought to us by human brilliance, ingenuity, and innovation. And as we look at these images, I I look at their faces and I I feel, even if it's just for a moment, a, a sense of possibility, hope, imagining what it might be like a few months from now maybe longer for me, because I may not be high in the line, but a few months from now, when I might get a vaccine, when each of us might be able to get a vaccine, and an end to these months of grief and loneliness, to see with our own eyes that a better day is on the horizon. But it begs the question why is it that we need these pictures in order to feel hope or to feel secure in the safety of the vaccine? Why do we need Vice President Pence to receive the vaccine in front of live television cameras? Although I'm grateful that he did. Why can't we just take the word of the pharma companies or the FDA, the scientific journals, the science journalists? at face value. Because as we all know, sometimes, maybe a lot of times, seeing is believing. It's not enough to just be told something is true. Sometimes we have to witness it with our own two eyes in order to believe and to understand it's truth. Or to put it in the language of my high school writing teacher, show, don't tell. I wonder how many of you learned that as a cardinal rule of writing, show, don't tell. That message, that lesson is present, thoroughly present in this week's Torah portion. So this week's Torah portion uh, continues the, Joseph's, uh, the Joseph saga, uh, where uh, uh, Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, is told. Uh, His father, Jacob, is told that he uh, has been killed. Uh, Joseph, enslaved in Egypt, is uh, in a sequence of events placed in prison. Uh, And while in prison, he meets Pharaoh's uh, butler and Pharaoh's baker, uh, who uh, are also in prison, interprets their dreams. Uh, And uh, the butler, who, uh, uh, who gets taken out of prison and restored to his place, with um, uh, in in Pharaoh's palace remembers uh, at the end of last week's Torah portion or the beginning of this week's Torah portion remembers Joseph to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh and Pharaoh is having some strange dreams of his own that he met a wonderful dream interpreter in prison uh, and brings Joseph to Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams to, to uh, share that there is going to be a famine in the land of Egypt that will last seven years following seven years of plenty. But if the if Pharaoh plans properly, if Egypt plans properly during the years of plenty, they'll be able to ride out the years of famine. Turns out that Joseph is right. So Pharaoh prepares during the years of uh, plenty and uh and uh and stores up grain sufficient to ride out the years of famine that are going to follow it. And because of Joseph's ingenuity and clairvoyance, Pharaoh makes Joseph the uh, second in command over all of Egypt, and that's where we encounter him in this week's Torah portion. We see that he has been placed in this position uh, and in charge of administering the entire food program for the land of Egypt. I just want to point out for a moment the extraordinary coincidence that we read about a famine in a moment when so many millions are struggling with hunger and food insecurity, with lines stretching at food pantries for blocks. If you have the capacity now to, uh, to, to give uh, in order to help those who may be struggling with food insecurity I encourage you to do it. And Rashi even makes a comment uh, in, uh, on verse 56 of chapter 41 where he's, uh, the verse says, Va rab kol ha-aretz, the famine was over the whole earth and Rashi says, Mihem Arets, who are the face of the earth Ashirim, those are the wealthy. Uh, And I found that to be a striking comment that, in so many ways, the privileged in society don't acknowledge the reality of a disaster until it affects them, and it always affects the most vulnerable first. We can see that playing out in our time. But the famine spreads out over all the land. It begins to impact uh, even faraway places like Canaan, like Canaan, which is where Joseph's family lives and so joseph's family is out of food the brothers uh, all except for benjamin who jacob uh makes stay at home so that uh he doesn't risk losing benjamin in the same way that he lost joseph the other br- ba- brothers go down to egypt they encounter joseph who recognizes them even though they do not recognize him and seek to procure food from them joseph who recognizes them uh we're not exactly sure his motivations here but whatever his motivations he decides to uh to uh, to make their lives more difficult and he says that uh that you uh must be spies that are coming to uh to to see the vulnerability of the land it says he remembers what happened in his youth. He recognizes his brothers. And so he says, uh, you must be spies who are here to see the vulnerability of the land. The brothers reject the claim. They say, no, we are here just to procure food. And then they say this. "Kulanu We are the children of one man, all of us. Kenim anachnu. We are upright. The commentators try to explain what kenim anachnu is. Rashi says, amiti'im. We are truthful. Sforno says, b'chol askenu. We are upright in all of our dealings. They say we were never spies. But you can forgive Joseph perhaps a little bit that he is incredulous by this assertion of his brothers that they are in any way canine. They may be in this case telling the truth that uh, that they are not spies. But any cursory glance at the life of these brothers shows that they are anything but canine, anything but upright people. Think about what they have done during the course of their lives. Reuven, the eldest, uh, 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 sleeps with his father's concubine. Shimon and Levi, the second eldest, create a ruse to annihilate an entire town in retribution for their sister's rape by the prince of the town. They conspire to kill and then ultimately to sell into slavery their brother. These are Cainim. These are upright people, and even during this Parsha, they continue the process of showing how much they are not kane, how much they are not upright people. They say it over and over again. The verse the, the word kanem that we are upright people appears over and over again in the portion as if they're trying to convince themselves as well as other people that they are in fact these upright folks. But of course we know. But they're not. They sell each other out, even in this week's portion. Reuben, when they go back to see Jacob, to say that we're not going to be able to get more food, we're not going to be able to get our brother Shimon out of prison unless we bring Benjamin with us. And I'll tell you what, Dad, if something happens to Benjamin, I will personally kill my own two sons. That's my promise to you. These are Canaan. These are upright people. It's an absurd claim for the brothers to make. So perhaps what Joseph is doing here, especially when he hears them describe themselves in that way, maybe he sets out to make them prove it. Prove to me that you are actually now Canaan. You weren't when we were growing up. You never have been. Maybe you've changed. Maybe you are now upright people. Prove it to me. And so the sequence of events of the rest of the portion and next week's portion may very well be Joseph's test to see if his brothers have actually changed. They weren't Canaan. They could say it as many times as they want. But Joseph says, show. Show me. Don't just tell me. And we can contrast that with Joseph himself at the beginning of the section that Elisheva read where we hear about the severity of the famine in the land. Verse 56 that I had uh, read before about, al the famine was over the face of the whole earth. And Joseph opened uh, everything that was in them. The commentators say that there actually may be a word missing there. They say that Joseph opened up uh, everything that was in the roads, everything that was in the storehouses of the grain, and uh, and distributed out to Egypt. And the commentators say that what Joseph did there, take for example, Sforno, the it's that Joseph showed everything that was in the storehouses, Laharotam, to show the Egyptians that he had the capacity to feed them during this famine. Joseph is a person who recognizes that our actions testify to us. He doesn't just say to the Egyptians, sure, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. He shows them. He opens the doors to the storehouses. See for yourself what I have. I'll give you everything I have, as much as I can, for each person according to their need. You can see for yourself that I'm doing this honestly and with integrity. Don't just take my word for it. I'm going to show you. Our actions speak for us. Joseph teaches us. The Parsha teaches us. Our deeds testify to who we are. We can say we're good people all we want, but unless we show it, we can't honestly make that claim. What makes us good people or bad people other than what our actions say about us? We can say all we want, I'm a good person. But unless your deeds show that you are, if I can't look at your calendar and see where your priorities are, no matter how much you tell me what your values are, your actions will prove otherwise. If you can't show me your tax returns and say where you gave your tzedakah this year, how you spent your resources, you can say all you want how kind and generous and thoughtful you are, but your actions will say will speak another story. The parsha presents a striking contrast between Joseph and his brothers. The brothers who say, we are Canaan, but their actions speak otherwise. And Joseph, who never says, hey, look at me, I'm such an upright guy, but rather shows how upright he is through his deeds. And so we should demand of ourselves in the manner of Joseph and of each other and indeed of our leaders, not just the right words, but the right deeds. We should be mindful, not just to tell, but to show. And then we can honestly say, we are upright people because our deeds will testify to that fact. Shabbat Shalom. This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.